Our Father, it has, um, it has been our privilege to spend hours together surveying the wondrous cross. And uh, it has done, our survey has done wondrous things for our souls. It has um, brought us in a, for some of us, brought us into a brand new relationship with the living God. And, and has uh, transferred us from uh, the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And, and today we are on our way to heaven because of the survey of the wondrous cross. For others of us, it has, it has transformed the way we live and the choices that we make. And uh, it has rearranged our priorities and given us uh, a new set of, uh, a new schedule uh, as we have surveyed the wondrous cross. That uh, instrument on which the Prince of Glory died. And uh, so many of us know and sense and feel that we're the whole realm of nature ours. That that would be a present far too small. Because love that is that amazing demands more than nature. It demands my soul, my life, and my all. And I pray, O oh God, that um, that what what has happened in the lives of some, as we have surveyed the cross of Christ, will happen in the souls of countless others as we continue our efforts to build a church that is um, something that will give great pleasure to heaven. We understand, O oh God, that none of that will ever happen unless the Holy Spirit inspires and authors and empowers. And so we pray uh, for his ongoing presence with us. Thank you for the, um, the kind and generous and spiritual and godly people that you have gathered in this body known as Gracie Van. But we all know, Father, that we've only just begun. We've only just begun individually. We've only just begun corporately. And uh, we, we take the next step with a, with a sense of fear and trepidation. Because were you to desert us, we would turn into something really, really ugly. And all of us have had experience and stuff like that, but we don't want that. What we want is to be inhabited by the life-giving, conviction-making, comfort-providing Holy Spirit. Might He dominate us as individuals and as a body. Now, Father, meet the needs that this congregation has. It has been a hard fall uh, with the country being shaken as she was. And uh, so many people have suffered um, financially and um, in terms of their employment. And uh, we know 
and trust that you will meet all of the needs that we have as a church out of your riches and glory. Do that, Father, through this group of people whose highest loyalty in life is Christ and Him crucified. And we pray, of course, in that name and none other. Amen. Thank you. Grab your Bibles, if you will, and open them to uh, the book of Acts. And you follow, as I read, the first three verses of Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his sufferings by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. We're going to launch this morning a study of the book of Acts, which seemed appropriate to me uh, in that uh, you get from the book of Acts the only authoritative account of the beginning the origin, the, uh, the nature, the mission, the task, the message of the Christian church. What is the Christian church anyway? Uh, what is her business? What is her, um, what's her message? Um, there's a lot of confusion over those things, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe not in your minds, but across the country... A lot of confusion about what is the business and the nature of the church. Uh, Danny Ray, who is uh, one of our newest elders, came to our meeting on Wednesday night and, and brought this. This is a uh, something that he, he works for Federal Express. It's a trend letter. And uh, he g- gets this in the management position of which he uh, occupies. And uh, I guess a lot of people in the corporate world get this. But uh, interestingly enough, there was an article... In this, I guess, week's or month's trend letter about the blurring of the lines between spiritual and secular. And uh, it had some uh, comments in here about uh, the church that I want to read you. Uh, They're very brief, but there's, I'll keep names out of this, but um, a certain pastor whose church is a very large church in Texas uh, thinks of the church's soon to open McDonald's franchise. As one-stop shopping for body and soul. Uh, If you crave Starbucks Starbucks Cafe Lattes with your sermon, try the Heavenly Grounds Cafe at the Christian Center in a church in Indiana. Um, There's a church in Jacksonville, Florida that boasts of a hair salon, a travel agency, and a bus terminal. Um, there's a lot of confusion, ladies and gentlemen, as to what the church is and what her business is to be. And, and some of those questions are addressed in the book of Acts. Some of them are addressed in our text this morning. Um, but it seemed to me 
that this would be a good time to make sure, as we um, are headed into what we're headed into, that we have all of this very clearly established in our minds as to um, what we are, what we've been called to do, and and um, what is it that we're supposed to be saying. In my opinion, uh, if ever there were a, a temptation to get off track, it is now. And so um, what I wanted to do is spend several months as, as we begin today and, of course, next week and the weeks after that, making sure that uh, we're in line with this one reliable, authoritative, divinely inspired account of what the church is to be and do and, and say. Now, before we get to all that business, um, let me kind of ease you into the discussion uh, of the book of Acts with uh, a couple of just words of introduction, I guess. Today uh, is an odd day in, in the life of Grace Evangelical Church. Uh, at least it is for me. Um, um, it's a transitional day, as you all know. In, in some ways, it, it marks the end um, of a phase, of a, of a chapter, of, a, of a, a stage in our church's life. Um, today will mark the last time that you and I, as a, as a body of believers, will gather in this room for Sunday morning worship after eight years of having done so. Uh, after spending eight years here and uh, gathering for worship and then seeing a tornado tear, tear this building to schmitherines and having to gather at another place and then to regather and and begin afresh in, in a reconstructed building. Today we say goodbye to, um, to this section, uh, I guess, of our past. But in other ways, it's, uh, it's, it marks the beginning. If nothing else, it marks the beginning of a new study of the book of Acts. Um, but in this book we get an, an inspired record of how a handful of people turned their world and ours upside down. We're still feeling the effects uh, today of what this handful of people did uh, two millennia ago. How did they do that? And how... How will we, if God wills, turn our small corner of the world uh, upside down like they did? And I, I think, ladies and gentlemen, if we will listen closely throughout the study of the book of Acts, we're, we're going to gain some insights, hopefully, uh, that will allow us to follow in their footsteps... Uh, as they followed in the footsteps that God was laying out before them. I can tell you, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the, the closer our church resembles this one, the better off we're all going to be. And the, uh, the more we are unlike 
this one, <laughs> the more we'll be looking for a McDonald's franchise. Uh, the first step in, in that whole process of learning about how they uh, turned their world upside down, we're going to take this morning. Because I want to remind you of some fundamentals, too, in fact. Uh, things that I hope that, not in, that won't bore you, but things that I hope that you already know. Things that, that I hope that you don't need anything but a fresh reminder. Because uh, when you walk through those doors next week, I want you to walk through the, those doors with these two things in mind. And, and, and by the way, there's going to be lots of others, lots of others as we go. But at least these two. I, um, I want you to remember. It has to do with the nature of the Christian church and the, uh, the message of the Christian church. Now... Let me say that our treatment of the book of Acts is going to be a little odd. Um, maybe it'll, it'll kind of smooth out later on, but we're going to jump around uh, for a while. And, and actually, the text this morning, the first three verses, I'm not going to serve it very well. Because there are issues in the first three verses that I'm not even going to touch. There are some really important issues in the first three verses. Uh, for instance, this uh, he um, appeared uh, by many infallible proofs. Well, that's a great um, statement about the resurrection and the proof thereof. And um, we could spend a lot of time talking about the many and the uh, infallible proofs. It's a great Easter text. But I'm not even going to touch that stuff. Because uh, um, what I want to say today is somewhat defined and limited by the uniqueness of our day, of the uniqueness of this day to us as a church and for my purposes this morning, I really want you to concentrate really only on verse 1. Because uh, verse 1 tells us a couple of things uh, about the nature and the message of the church that I hope that we'll never soon forget. Um, so with that, we launch our study. You'll notice the, uh, the first three words, or five words, the former account I made, O Theophilus. Now, guys, uh, that tells us something. It tells us something about the author, who is the I uh, that is identified there. I think perhaps most of you already know that the author of the book of Acts is Luke. How do you know that, Jimmy? It doesn't say Luke. Well, let me show you how I know that. If you'll keep your fingers in Acts 1-1, and if you'll find Luke 1-1, I'll show you something that perhaps many of you have already seen. But it tells us who the author of the book of Acts is. Let me read you these first seven words again from Acts 1. You go to Luke 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus. Now, if you're at Luke 1.1, 1, 1, uh, let's uh, just read the first and the fourth verses. It says, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us. Da, 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 da. Now look uh, down at verse, uh, actually it's uh, verse 3. It seemed good to me also, having had, uh, had perfect understanding of all the things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. Now, the identity of the author of Acts is made certain by noticing that Luke is writing an account to Theophilus, one of his friends. 
And then you turn to Acts 1.1 and you find the former account I made, O Theophilus. And what Luke is doing is referring to his first book. The book, the Gospel of Luke. So, the, the former account I made is a reference by Luke to Luke's Gospel. It's the same author, an eyewitness, uh, who is giving us an eyewitness account. Uh, the same reader, Theophilus. And we're going to find the same message, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Interestingly enough, the Gospel of Luke ends where the book of Acts begins. The Gospel of Luke closes on a description of the ascension, when Jesus ascended into heaven to the right hand of God the Father. The book of Acts opens with the ascension. So Luke, in his Gospel, terminates the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. And in the book of Acts... He inaugurates the heavenly ministry of Jesus Christ. So what you have in the book of Acts is basically volume 2. You have um, a second treatise. It It is a sequel. You could call it almost a fifth gospel. We wouldn't dream of doing something like that, but you could almost call it a a fifth gospel. Because basically what it is, is the second half of Luke's two-volume work, the first volume being his gospel, the second volume being, of course, this book that we call Acts. Now, he says in Acts 1-1 that volume 1, that is referring to the Gospel of Luke, he says that volume 1, if you'll notice in your text, is an account of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. It is an account, that is, his Gospel, the Gospel of Luke, is an account of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Which implies, very clearly I think, that volume 2... The book of Acts is an account of all that Jesus continues to do. Gang, in the Greek New Testament, the word, I mean, in the Greek language, the way they emphasize things is the location of the words in the sentence. I've said it to you before. They didn't have italicized words and quotation marks and all that business. So the way that they emphasize uh, is either by repetition or by the location of the word in the sentence. The word began is the first word of the sentence. It's um, began, the emphasis falls on the began. Uh, The word began is emphatic. And all that Luke writes in his gospel is nothing more than an account of the beginning. That means he's not finished. That is, Jesus is not finished. 
Luke now wants to describe to Theophilus the rest of the story. And the rest of the story has to do with what Jesus is now, from his heavenly uh, position, what he is continuing to do through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the agency of the church. If we wanted to, ladies and gentlemen, I know that you call this book Acts, but if we wanted to, we could call it something like this. Instead of calling it Acts, we could call it the continued doings and teachings of the living Christ by the Holy Spirit through the agency of the church. That's what it is. Now, did you know that? Did you know that's what we are? Um, did you know that the church is nothing more than the institution through which, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus continues to do his work? That the church is nothing more than a vehicle brought into being to provide a means through which Jesus could continue to do his work. Did you know that? Did you know that's what we are? As a church, as a local expression of the body of Christ, this is what we are. We are a vehicle. We are a vehicle through which Jesus intends to continue all that he began. Now, is that what we are? Because anything less than that, ladies and gentlemen, we failed. You know, I, I am convinced that one of the reasons that the masses are uh, outside the church is because they have a mistaken notion about what the church is. I, I don't know about the rest of you, but um, uh, every morning when I drive to church and I see people dressed, uh, you know, in something other than church clothes <laughs> or, and headed to any, it, it grieves me. And very frankly, ladies and gentlemen, the, you're not the minor, you're not the majority. I mean, the, 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 you're the minority. You know, add us all up from all the churches in town. We're still the minority. Majority is still outside these doors. And and one of the reasons that I think that they're still outside these doors, just one of the reasons, is because they have a, a mistaken notion about what the church is and and what her um, what she's supposed to be doing. And their confusion, I think is at least partially to be blamed on us. Because I think we're confused as to what we're supposed to do. Do we sell hamburgers? Or lattes? Uh, let, let me put it to you a different way. Tell me this. Why do you go to church on Sunday mornings? Or any other time? Uh, is it to perpetuate a tradition that your family has? Is it habit? Is it because you think there's a sense of duty that is fulfilled? Do you come to, uh, so you can feel better? I don't know how many times people say that to me. I just feel better when I go to church. <laughs> well, I'm glad you do. I really am. But, um, I mean, when you woke up this morning and you looked outside and you saw that, <laughs> um, did you say, well, I sure can't play golf in that. And um, 
Much too cold. Dreary. And you know, the football games don't start until noon. So I guess I'll go to church. Why do you come? I'm telling you, I think people, so many people arrive at church hoping beyond hope that it'll be brief. And uh, they're bored to tears before it ever begins. But they are the same people who who don't have the foggiest notion as to what the nature of this institution is about. To them, it's a, it's a place where you marry and you bury and you, and you, uh, you baptize. Or is it christen? I, I, I don't know. You do something with the babies. But ladies and gentlemen, this idea is life-changing. The idea to which I refer is the idea that you and I, as the Christian church, are to be a vehicle through which Jesus continues his work. If that has not yet crossed your mind, then let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, you and I are supposed to be a part of redemptive history. You and I are supposed to be a part of redemptive machinery. By which the Son of Man continues His grand and glorious work of saving His people. And, and, and guys, I say to you, there is nothing more beautiful than the Christian church when she is doing what she was designed to do. But I say the converse is true as well. There's nothing uglier than the Christian church who doesn't know what she's designed to do and is out selling lattes. You know, in some places, the Christian church compensates for her lifelessness by kind of, or, or attempting to jazz things up just a bit in hopes it will produce some kind of emotional spike. I listened to a series of tapes a couple of years ago um, by a, a well-respected pastor who took, well, he, he, he went himself and took a, a portion of his staff to Hollywood to a film movie-making studio. And he studied how movies were made. And he um, discovered that in, in movie-making, that movie-makers know that the audience has to have some kind of spike every 11 minutes. Now, I don't know how they figured that out, but that's a principle of movie making. When you go to the movies, just put your eyes on your watch and you'll see something every 11 minutes or so to get you back into the movie. So this ingenious pastor decided he's going to go back and, and form and create his worship service around that principle. So that at every 11 minutes, his audience would get some kind of Charge! I just keep losing track of time up here. I'm sorry. Is that what we are, ladies and gentlemen? Is that what my job is? To make sure that 11 minutes don't go by without you getting charged? What I'm saying is, ladies and gentlemen, the idea... That Jesus left behind this institution known as the church 
so that his work could might continue, that he could continue his redemptive work through folks like us ought to be far more exciting than any 11-minute spike I could give you. I think that came right about at the 10-minute 15. I hope that got you back into it. You know, guys, one of the kinder things that is said about the church is that she's irrelevant. Frederick Nietzsche, the church's, I guess, greatest opponent, said, if you want me to believe in your Redeemer, you'll have to look a lot more redeemed. Well, what would that take? Gang, um, I don't know how we did this. I don't know how we did it, but it seems to me that we have taken what was supposed to be a life-changing, thrilling, adventurous calling. And we've turned it into something that is lifeless and boring and irrelevant. That's what they think of us. And, And I think part of the reason is because we have forgotten what we are. Well, guys, here's what we are. Jesus finished phase one in Luke's gospel. Phase two (laughs) was supposed to be me and you. And if you're not a part of that, It's no wonder you're bored. Because that's who we are. An institution through which Jesus Christ is supposed to continue His doings and His teachings for the redemption of His people. That's what we are. Why'd you come this morning? What brought you here? The 11 minute spikes? thinking that maybe they would finally get a latte machine? Well, ladies and gentlemen, um, I started out by saying there's a lot of confusion, and I, and I say there's a lot of confusion. But let me hurriedly go to my second point so we can finish up here. Um, the same verse, verse 1, tells us what it is that is to be our message. And, and again, it hinges on this word, began. Here's what happens. Luke has a friend by the name of Theophilus. Uh, Theophilus writes his friend Luke and says, uh, Luke, I've heard a lot about this business about Christianity. Could you explain it to me? And so Luke says, why, sure. And he sits down and writes this two-volume account about the essence and nature of Christianity. Now, notice what he wrote. Uh, In the former treatise, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And I've just suggested that the book of Acts, his second volume, is an account of what Jesus continues to do and to teach through the power of the Holy Spirit in the agent, through the agency of the church. So, ladies and gentlemen, it is very clear 
that what Luke set out to communicate to Theophilus is everything that he could possibly tell him about Jesus. How he was born, what he did in his childhood, what he taught, what he said, what he did, where he went, how he redeemed, how he resurrected. And then for the, for the second half, Theophilus, I want you to know of everything that Jesus did, where he went, how he did it, who he went to. I want you to know everything that you can possibly know about how he began and how he continues this person, Jesus. Because that, ladies and gentlemen, is the summation of our message. We are not, the Christian church is not called to be involved in somehow improving society. I'll say this, if we do our job, society will improve, but that's not our calling. Nor are we supposed to be in the business of profit making. We're supposed to be in the business of telling people how lovely is this Jesus and what he did when he came, and then go on to tell him, tell them that Jesus is still active. He's acting to the end. He will, he will ascend into heaven and stay there until it's time for him to, to return. That will bring about and usher in a final judgment, and his kingdom will be established and reach from shore to shore. That, my friends, is the message that this small band of people delivered, and by so doing, they turned their world upside down. <clears throat> it's the only message, ladies and gentlemen. Now, what is your idea of Christianity? What do you think the business of the church is? Well, have we failed you? Have we confused you? Because, ladies and gentlemen, um, I think our modern world is in much the same position as was Theophilus. They look at folks who go to church, and they'd like to know, what is that all about that you keep doing? But we haven't told them very much because apparently we're confused. What they've heard about us is that we're an agency that asks for money a lot. And a couple of times in your life, you're going to need them. But for the rest of the time, they're basically irrelevant. I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, the most urgent task in the world today is a task that has been entrusted us to make the gospel of Jesus Christ known to men and women that is our function our duty our calling our nature our business and there can be no more urgent task than that one it's the world's only hope and at that ladies and gentlemen we cannot and must not fail I want to read you real quickly. We're almost finished. 1 Timothy 3, verse 15. Paul says, um, But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, comma, the pillar 
and ground of truth. That's what we are, ladies and gentlemen. An agency that is supposed to be so revolutionary that we are turning a world upside down by a message about Jesus Christ. Or we could sell Big Macs. And we could get very concerned when we, when we run out of hazelnut. Ladies and gentlemen, do you realize that this is what we are? This is what we've been called to. Nothing more, nothing less. We are to be the redemptive agency through which Jesus Christ continues His work. And our message has to do with Him. I close with this. Do you realize that the essence of Christianity is not that it calls upon you to do something, but the essence of Christianity, rather, is it has a message telling you what Jesus Christ has done for you, that He has lived the life that you should have lived, and He's died the death that you should have died, so that we might enjoy everlasting life. That's our message. And this is the vehicle through which they're supposed to hear that. Let's go do that. Our Father, we do thank you for your word that reminds us again of what it is that is uh, true and what it is that is supposed to be uh, our business And I pray that you will use us to do that by the power and indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. Use us, O God, to the end that Jesus Christ be exalted. We pray in his name.